0: supposed to be in community and you know really K group has been a big part of our lives. It gives you an opportunity to get to know other people that you wouldn't um, spend a whole lot of time with uh, otherwise. There's something about that small group setting And just the open discussion on just a variety of topics that I think draws you in. And it's all about relationships. We're supposed to be accountable, uh, not only to God, but to others. We're getting to talk about God's Word. Being able to do uh, church in the home, so to speak. I'm going to start out with a couple questions uh, for you today. First one is, how important is church in your life? How important is church in your life? And you're probably thinking, "Well, oh, John, we're here, like, uh, check, I'm done, I'm here, so that means it's pretty important, right? There's a million other things and responsibilities I could be doing right now, but I'm here, so it must be pretty important. But let me rephrase the question to be more biblically uh, based and say this, how important are Jesus-centered relationships to you? How important are Jesus-centered relationships to you? Because if you really want to define the church, the church isn't a place that you go, it's not a building, it's uh, the communal life, it's the life of the body, the people working together in harmony and unison to not only serve one another, but to represent Christ and serve the world. And so if you think of that, how committed are you to the body, to the people that are a part of Grace Church and other Christians? Think about that for a second, and don't just say, well, I'm committed think about reasons why you are or aren't committed to the body of Christ, to the people of the church, the people who carry the mission of Jesus to the world. And so if we don't think about that in a real practical way, church just becomes somewhere we go versus something that we are. We are the church. And so does does your faith, does the work of God in your life connect to relationships in your life? And how so? Are you connected? And so this this series is going to be a three-week series all about the body, all about community, all about uh, our one another into community together. And we really have to put like, our, our minds in action here and really allow us to be honest with ourselves because I think we're so good most of the time of answering the right stuff that sometimes we fail to see really the, the, how serious and, and how valid and how real this should be in our lives. If you've ever been to like a carnival or somewhere, you may have seen these uh, cutouts where you, you stick your face in the picture, you know what I'm talking about, and, 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 you, and you look and people take a picture of you and they're kind of humorous and kind of funny. And what's funny about these things is what? The body doesn't match the head, right? So the head and the body are, are, don't match at all, and that's why they're funny. That's what makes them work. Well, think about this, all right? Think about this for a second. If the church is the body... And Jesus is the head, how well do we match? How well do we match? Jesus, scripture says, Jesus is the head. We, the church, were the body, the body of Christ. And so, how well do we fit together? Does the world look and, and laugh? We'll go back to those, there, there they look and that those pictures and there they laugh. It's humorous because, like, look, look at that body and that face, you know? That doesn't go together, except for Mitch. It kind of does work. But, um, but it, it just doesn't, it doesn't go together. It's silly, right? It's silly. And so they look at the church and they say, and you can go to the next slide now, you look at the church and they're like, Jesus, really? You represent Jesus? Come on, give me a break, all right? Like, I don't look at you and see Jesus. I don't look at Grace Church and then think instantly, Jesus, I don't think of that. Or do people look and say, wow, Jesus must be pretty amazing Jesus must do pretty awesome things in people's lives because look at the body. Look at his body. It, it's like doing the things that Jesus did when he was on earth. And it's caring for people. It's, it's looking out for one another. It's, it's proclaiming God's commands. It's, it's seeing what God is doing, as we've been talking about with the life of Jesus, seeing what God's doing, and then it's doing those things on earth. So which way is it? Do people look at us and say, wow, that's a pretty good representation there. Or is it, yeah, right, that's, that's, that's hilarious, that's funny. So as we look at Romans chapter 12, and we're going to spend the next three weeks in verses 1 to 6, maybe 7 and 8, but we're going to really, really drill down deep into this passage. We're going to look deep in this passage, and we're going to really pull out some nuggets of truth that are going to be critical if we, as the body, if you, as the body, are going to represent the head the way that God has called us to represent him. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is the good, acceptable, and perfect? Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Father God, we thank you for your word that just constantly anchors us to your heart, that pulls us back from the things that we um, can think are so important and so critical in this life, and they just pull us back to what really uh, we're here for and what we're about. And God, um, I'll be the first to admit, and I know others, if they're honest, will admit that it's so easy to lose sight of that. There are so many things in our own hearts that pull us away from you, and there's so much pressure in this world to do other things and and pursue other gods that always fall short. And it's so easy to embrace sin that we know will self-destruct our lives, but we still run to it because it feels good or it feels right at the moment God and I pray that you'll allow us today to see uh, that you've called us to live for you and and help us to be um, really see the sincerity and the and the weight of that and also God help us to see our commitment to one another as we live this life for you we pray in Jesus name amen well I love the book of Romans plain and simple the book of Romans is a book eventually I'm super excited about teaching and preaching through it'll be a long endeavor longer than mark even and and it's going to be awesome and and i love what martin luther said this way back in the 1400s he said the epistle is really the chief part of the new testament and the very purest gospel and is worthy not only that every christian should know it word for word by heart but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. You think Martin Luther loved the book of Romans? Absolutely, he loved the book of Romans. Since we're picking up in chapter 12, it's critical that we walk through very quickly the first 11 chapters of this book to see why Paul is getting to what he's getting to here in, in in this section. So I'm going to give you a very simple overview. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul showed human beings how they lack God's righteousness because of sin. How that we lack the righteousness of God, we lack it because of our sin. It separates us. Chapter 4 and 5, Paul then shows how we receive God's righteousness when God justifies us by faith in Jesus. Chapters 6 through 8 demonstrates God's righteousness by showing how we've been transformed from rebels to righteous followers of Jesus. Chapters 9 through 11, which is more of a difficult section if you've read through Romans before, but he's dealing with ethnic Israel's disbelief, unbelief, and the rejection of Jesus in the gospel. And he says, it looks like, if you look at this situation, it looks like God's plans, God's promises have failed, but he concludes that, no, God's God did not fail in, in this. His righteousness will prevail. And so that's kind of a, a very brief summary of chapters 1 through 11. It's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. It's what God has done. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the summary of chapters 1 through 11. It's really important to remember this because Paul's letters always have a follow, follow a pattern. It's what God has done in the first part. He lays down the meat, the the, the theology. And then in the second part of the book, he says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. And the same is true in in chapters 12 through 16 of Romans. As we start into the application side of things, here's what God has done through Christ in chapters 1 through 11. Now here is what you're called to do in light of all of this. And so we're picking up right in the to-do section of the book but it's critical that we understand what the theology, what the, what all of this stuff that he laid down and how that applies to it. Because if you don't understand this fully, then you won't be able to do this properly. In fact, you'll, you'll fall flat on your face. It'll all be through your own efforts. And so the Christian life, it's very critical that, it's, that we understand it's not based upon ignorance, it's not based on feelings, it's not just based on what we, we think or feel at the moment, it's based upon what we call doctrine, chapters one through eleven. It's based on doctrines, and then we obey because we understand the doctrine. But what I love about this is because so many people err on the side of one or another. That you got the people who are over here, and these are the doctrine guys. These are the guys who just like to think and know stuff, and and and, and they like to ponder and and, and discuss. And then over here, you got the doer people, and you got the people who are like, uh, you don't really need a lot of theology, man, you just need to get out in the world, and you just need to love people, and do things, and and, and just make a difference. And a lot of times, these people tend to be kind of like against one another, pointing fingers like, you know, we're really better than you, all you want to do is just sit and think, and you you all don't really have any really understanding of truth. Look, it's not one or the other, okay, it's just not one or the other. And we all probably, at some point, we lean one way or the other. But the truth is, it's a total balancing act because we take what we know and we apply what we know and we walk this balance of, look, I need to know the truth, but I need to apply the truth. Just knowing the truth without applying the truth means nothing. And applying some passion or action without any knowledge or understanding means nothing. And so they go hand in hand. And so as we get to chapter 12, that's why he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He says, I'm appealing to you, therefore, and we talked about this, what's therefore, what's the purpose of therefore? To point back and say, all this stuff in chapters 1 through 11, I'm appealing to you now because of all this. And he kind of sums it up, the mercies of God. In light of everything that I've told you, now respond a certain way. Because God's incredible mercy, because of his righteousness that he's poured out on you through this rescue mission we call the gospel, you've been fundamentally changed from the inside. And as a result of this, of God's mercy, now you put it into action what God's telling you to do. See, it's the opposite. The pagans of Paul's days would have offered sacrifices in order to obtain mercy from the gods. But look, it's, it's the opposite. Paul says, Because of the mercy, now you offer your body, your life as a living sacrifice. So what you believe must affect, it should affect the way that you behave. What you believe must affect the way that you behave. And otherwise, you need to really ask the question, do I really believe? Honestly, do I really believe? So let's bring this down to street level. I like to bring stuff down to like the practical day-to-day life. All right, why don't we? behave the way that we know in our brains I think a lot of times is simply because we're just so busy we, we have so much going on we rush out the door we just jump into life and rarely ever do we really think about our day and ask God to sanctify our day to make us holy to make our day holy set apart for him and so we rush out we just do and do and do And we forget that left to ourselves that we need, you know, that we don't need, we think we don't need help. We think we're okay. And we're not desperate. We're not humble for God's grace. We're not. We're quick to remember others' people, their need for help, right? All right, honestly, if you're married in here, all right, honestly, think about, write this, don't write it down because I don't want your spouse to see it. Think right now of two or three things your spouse could change immediately that would make your marriage so much better. Honestly, think about it, all right? Think about it. Don't elbow or or point or look, but think. You know, it comes pretty easy. Like, they could do this more, or they could have this uh, done, or, or they could change this about them. It comes really quick how we can change others because they need help. But when we think about our own life, not so much, right? I mean, we tend to naturally think that the other people are the problem, and it's not us. Because we don't naturally think we need help. And the problem is, if you go through your day, which, remember, your days turn into, obviously, years in your life, and this is who you are. Because I think we separate out and we say, here's who I am, I'm, I'm my belief system, but practically over here, I just live something completely different most of the time. And we think, well, today I, you know, I know I am, but maybe tomorrow I won't, but it just turns into day after day, of living something other than your convictions, other than what you say you're about, what you believe in. And a lot of times it's not malicious or it's not pointing your face at God and saying, I'm living life for me. It Most of the time it's simply, I'm just busy doing my stuff, doing my thing. And so Paul says, look, in light of everything that God has done for you, now as a result of that, here's what you're to do to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The picture here of presenting of presentation is giving something over to God relinquishing your tight grip on something and letting go to go back and say God this is yours this is my offering to you and so in this context he says to place our bodies at the disposal of God God take my body now What's in view here is more than just our physical body. It's, it's everything. It's kind of like what we talked about a few weeks ago in Mark. It's the heart. It's everything. Our, our mind, our will, our emotion. But here, here's the thing again. This, this, this thing where we can live separate from our belief system, think we have beliefs, but now we live a separate way, is I think because we know that offering our bodies is more than offering our bodies, we think we don't need to offer our bodies. alright uh, You're going to have to wake up to comprehend that for a second. All right? Stay with me, all right? Because we know that offering our bodies is more than offering our bodies. We think that we don't need to offer our bodies. And so we don't think, like, literally, I'm a living sacrifice because I'm more than just my physical shell. I'm more than just what I do and the way I act. And I'm I'm more than that. But you're not. I mean, you're more than that, but you're not less than that. And I'm not less than that. And so to think that to offer to God yourself as a living sacrifice means that you like, God, you're in charge. God, you're number one. But then we live our lives in a way where God isn't number one, then are we really offering our bodies as a living sacrifice? Just because we know the stuff in our head, but we're not doing it, do we really believe it? Are we really, really owning it? And so I think there's this practical and total, like, just very like our bodies, we're laying them on the altar. All of us. And, and so don't compartmentalize. Don't compartmentalize. Think about, use a sports analogy here for a second. I'm going to use a couple of these today. Think about basketball, all right? Think about if you're a spectator for basketball, you say, I love basketball. All right? I love basketball. Man, I, I just love watching basketball, it's great. See, we love God oftentimes the love, way that we love basketball. That I'll watch it on the TV for hours. You know, I'll come to games and watch people play. I, I like it. But to actually get in a game and play, poof, that's silly. You know, that's not for me. That's for other people, all right? And you think, well, at my age, you know, I can't play basketball, right? Well, we actually we have a bunch of old guys here on the mornings at 6 o'clock in the morning playing basketball, right? They're basketball fans, all right, because they're actually getting up out of bed at 6 a.m., coming to the gym and playing hoops, and most of us are terrible, okay, terrible. But you know what? We're doing it. We love basketball, right? We love basketball, and we're showing it by coming out here, getting up early in the morning and making fools of ourselves, risking injury because we love basketball. So who loves basketball more? Is it the guy who sits in front of the TV and watches and says, basketball's great, or is it the person who actually then changes and alters his life in order to get in the game and play? Now, I know that's not a perfect analogy, but you get the point. The point is, if you love God, you're not just a fan, a spectator of God. And see, that's what the church meeting can become. It's just, we're God spectators. We're God fans. God, I've given you my Sunday. Yeah we're not in the game so to speak we're not here playing making fools not even doing we're not doing a good job but we're trying because we're afraid you know i'm afraid i can if i can't do it perfect or i can't do it as well as michael over there then i'm not doing it at all but you know you just come out and you get on your old shoes and you you start playing and maybe like brennan you make a layup on the, for the wrong team right yeah uh and uh but you're 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 in the game right you're in the game and so the question is are you In the game, are you a living sacrifice? Are you presenting your body as a living sacrifice? I think it's as simple as that old little song we learned in Sunday school. Oh, be careful little hands what you do. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little feet where you go because the Father up above, he's looking down with love. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. It's more than that, but it's that, right? We mean, it's not just not doing, but it's are you doing what God's called you to do? Are you doing his will? Are you following what he said for you to do? So I think being a living sacrifice is being willing to obey God in anything he says in any area of life. Being willing to obey God in anything he says in any area of life. And then the second part of that, being willing to thank God for anything he sends in any area of our life. So it's active, I'm going to obey God, and it's passive. Whatever comes at me, whatever happens in my life, I'm willing to thank you, God, for that. I think that's what being a living sacrifice is all about. So I appeal you to brothers, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This idea of acceptable, this is it's really important. God is pleased by us presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. That's the idea there. God is pleased by that. He's pleased with us because of Christ, what Christ did, the motivation that Christ did, what Christ accomplished, the done part of the book and now we do. He's pleased with us because of Jesus. God's approval liberates us to live in a way which God approves of. And so that's why it's important that we understand the mercies of God. Think about it this way. Think another sports illustration, all right? Think about a really, really great father um, who loves watching his son, young son, play baseball for a team. And he spends countless hours in the yard teaching him the proper techniques to hit the ball and so on. This father actually loves his son fully and completely. And if his son forgets his father's instructions and he goes up to the plate and he forgets the right technique and he strikes out, it will no way change his father's love of him or his approval of him. His son is assured of his father's love regardless of his performance. But the son, what does he do? He still longs to hit a home run. He still longs to get up there and make contact, not for himself to gain his father's love, but for his his father's love because he is already loved by his father. If he doesn't know his father loves him, his efforts will be for himself to win that love to win that approval i need to i need to do it for me so i can win the approval of my father but because he knows his father already loves him his efforts are for his father to please him and and so i hope that helps you understand that we don't work to to earn god's favor to perform to get the hugs to make god happy with us chapters 1 through 11 it's already been done in christ if you're in christ if you're a believer if you're a christian it's been done. The gospel says, you are declared righteous. And then we have a proper view of that mercy, a humility about that, and that provides us this motivation to live the sacrificially obedient life, pleasing to God. Not saying, so I can earn it, but because we love the Father, and the Father loves us. And so it's, it's, it's a different way of thinking for, for many of you, because you maybe grew up in a tradition or even a home where it was all about doing the stuff and and performing, because that's the way most of life is. You do it, and you get the approval. God says, approval's done. I've already accepted you fully. Nothing you can do can can further or, or, or gain more approval from me. It's done. Now, out of this, just love me and, and obey because of what I've done for you. And so the question, to, to before we get into the second thing I want to connect here, which is The body of Christ, the first one is, if you're going to live as the body of Christ, you have to know who you are. You are a recipient of God's amazing mercy. You are a recipient of God's amazing mercy. If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, a Jesus follower, a believer, you are a recipient of God's amazing mercy. Maybe jot down Romans 9, 23 for later, that whole really section, and look at that. I want to talk to you again through Romans really quickly. All right? Think about who you are in Christ as I read these. You have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, Romans 3.23. And because of that sin, the wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from a holy and perfect God, Romans 6.23. But you and I, who are Christians, were given an incredible gift. While we were still hopeless sinners, Romans 5.8 tells us, Christ died for you. Who do you think you are? You were a hopeless sinner separated from God. When you were separated from God, Christ died for you. Romans 8, 29, and 30. He knew you in advance. He chose you to become like his son. He called you. He justified you. And he gave you his glory. That's why this book is so rich. Just walking through all that God has done for us in Christ. Then chapter 8, verse 37 through 39, he concludes... What, what could, who can be against you? What can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Nothing can separate you from God's love. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So do you want to know who you are? Your identity is righteous before God, not because of your own works or own self, but it's all God, completely, totally. And so when you own that, when you really understand that, when you understand those 11 chapters, it changes the way you live life. Because all of a sudden, your identity is not me in the middle middle of life. It's God in the middle. It's, it's his people in the middle, not me any longer. And so, as a result, what does Paul say? In verse 1, he says, I urge you, I appeal, appeal to you, I beg you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God this is your spiritual worship you're a living sacrifice this is your spiritual wor- worship it never puffs you up it never makes you think well wow, god I, i'm special it brings you to a place of humility every day you have to fall on your knees and say god if not for your grace and mercy on this wretched man today i will not fulfill my identity of being who you said i am in and this i can i know you declare me righteous but i will not live that out i will not live for your glory unless I reflect upon the gospel and see the gospel, marinate in the gospel, chew on the gospel throughout the day. So what God did through Christ changes the way that we are, the way that we live. And this goes right into the second part. We're going to skip down to verse 4. Next week we're going to come back and hit the other verses we're skipping over. But you're also, your identity, who you are, you're a part. You are a part in Christ's body. You are a part in Christ's body. Let's read 4 and 5 again. For as in one body, okay, he's talking about a physical body here, he's using a metaphor, we have many members. What does he mean by members? That's parts. Fingers, our hands, our toes. We have many parts, many members. And they don't all do the same function, obviously, right? Your tongue, what is it? For speech, your eyes for seeing, your feet for walking. So we, though many... You and I, though many, were one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So you get what he's saying there? He's saying that you and I are part of the body of Christ. Think back to the little cardboard cutout, the picture, we're the body. Scripture said he's the head, we're the body. And think about it, it's kind of silly when you get a hold of this metaphor to think about any Christian who says, you know, not so much church for me, you know, I just me, it's me and God, and I worship God. Basically, that would be like saying, it would be like chopping off my hand and, and putting it over there and saying, that's part of my body. You know, it's a disconnected part of my body, I mean, but it's still my body. I mean, it's silly, what use would it be? What, what good is it if it's not connected to the whole? And so you you see what Paul's getting at here? He's saying, if you're offering your body as a living sacrifice, that means that you are giving yourself over to God as a living sacrifice, but you're also giving yourself over to the body of Christ to serve one another in love. And so the hand has to be connected to the body in order to help the body. And the foot is very of no good whatsoever if it's not connected to the body. And so offering your body to be a contributing part of the body of Christ is, is necessary in order to accurately represent the head. If we're going to accurately represent Jesus, the head, we have to be connected to one another. We have to be connected to one another. All right, so let's bring it down to street level. Because it's easy here on a Sunday morning, you're hearing this, it's, you know maybe you've been in church all your life, but practically, how are you encouraging and helping the body of Christ? Are you more of a limb or extremity laying over there by itself than an active part of the body encouraging and helping the whole so it can more properly represent Jesus the head? Because it's tough for a dismembered part of the body to lay over there and represent a head, right? I mean, how can it represent the head? It's like the head's not there, right? Where is the head? There's no body there. There's no head there. The same is true for you and I. If we just see our activity, our our church attendance as being part of the body, even K-group attendance as check part of the body, but there's no life of helping, encouraging, using your gifts, to serve one another in love. And, and see, I think that we've allowed our faith life in America and other places around the world, because it's so comfortable and so culturally accepted, that being part of the church means going to church. And we've lost track of biblically what it means to be a functioning, contributing member of the body. So people look at the head and they see the body and they say, wow, That fits. The body shows the divine head. It illustrates the divine head. How? Because we're serving and caring for one another in love. Again, step back and be practical here for a second. All right? It's hard to love other people, right? It's very hard. But if we're going to be people who represent the head, it means being sacrificial with our time because it doesn't belong to us with our passions, with our things that we're devoted to, the things that we put as most important in our life, so that we can care for, edify, build up, spur on, all these biblical terms that are used, one another. And then if, next week we'll look at some of the one another's of Scripture. It's an endless list of just caring for one another, putting up with one another. That's, that's critical, right? I mean, it's, it's so easy to be like, I, I just don't like that person. They're just rude. You know, they're, you know, I wish they weren't even in our church. And Jesus says, hey, you want to be like me? You want to represent me? Love your enemy. Pray for the person who treats you like trash. Do it in such a way that they're astonished at Jesus because it's easy to love those who love us. But Jesus specifically and pointedly said, love your enemy. And so in the body of Christ, there's going to be lots of tension, lots of things that we don't like. Back to the basketball analogy, you know, there, there's some people, I don't like to guard me in here on Sunday morning, right? I mean, on Wednesday morning, because they hacked me to death. They foul me all the time. But, you know, I, I can't, like, not like them or hate them because of that. I just, we're, we're together. We're serving God. And we all have the ultimate same passion, which is we're out here in the game. And in the game, you're going to take an elbow. You're going to get stepped on sometimes. It, it, it's probably not malicious, it's probably just just something flowing out of them and their life. But you don't say, well, you know, that, that person, they, they're just too mean. I don't want to play with them. I don't want to be involved with them. If they are out in the game and they're there, that's a statement, right? They're not a spectator. They're actually engaged. And so you're, you're together. You're in this together. And it's so easy for us to look at people who should be our allies in this faith, and we turn them into an enemy. We turn them into an enemy. I'm going to finish off today with one, hopefully, this, this visual illustration that will help you just remember the whole kind of point of this today. And I've asked Wyatt to come and help me today. So, Wyatt, come on up here for a second. White Carpenter, and he's going to show us a little bit of his, his skills, and you, how many of those you want to give me? Maybe three to start with, all right? So Wyatt's going to uh, illustrate the way that we typically look at life, honestly, all right? This is very practical. This is the way we look at life. Let's, let's make this, this, this is our family. Most of us would say our family, that probably is the highest priority in our life. Then based on our time, our career, our jobs would be right there, and then oftentimes we'll put something, you know, we'll say God. Would be right there as part of our, our our life. So we we're here and we're juggling those things. Go ahead. All right, pretty good, pretty impressive. All right, now let's throw. We got we, we honestly, if we look at our time, we look at the things we spend our energy on. We also have things we like to do recreationally. All right, we're out on the boat on the lake, or we're playing on a softball team, or we're you know doing various things, following our kids' activities and sports. And so we put put that in there as well. All right, so go ahead and and. and and juggle those, a little more difficult, but I think you got it, all right, go ahead, you don't, all right, give it a try, all right, all right, so go ahead and do three, all right, all right, so here's what happens, when we view church as just an activity, another activity, here's what happens, go ahead and start juggling those, all right, go ahead and throw this one in there, all right, eventually, something's got to give, right, Now now he's showing, yeah, it's a good job, all right, Throw this one in there too, all right? Here we go, five. <laughs> all right. So when you're in the center, when you're in the middle, you're juggling all your responsibilities, and, and you can name numerous. And what happens? When you view church as just another activity that you do, what happens when you get overwhelmed with life? Something's got to give. You've got to get back to where you can manage this. You've got to be able, because you're in the middle, go ahead. You, you, see, you can handle that. Why is it that our church life, our communal life, gets dumped when our responsibilities get too much, too stressful, too busy? Because I think we separate this out. We think, God, our church, our community, and these are kind of different from one another, right? These aren't the same. But see, I think we have a wrong view of Scripture, a wrong view of life. Thank you, Wyatt. Appreciate it. Here's one we're laying here on the... Give him a hand. Scripture presents a completely different model than you in the middle juggling life and then overwhelmed, something falls, well, I can easily discard church because I'm not running away from God because God's here. But we separate these two out. You can't separate out your devotion to God from very practical devotion to one another. So a better model would be, go ahead to the next screen, a better model would be this. Instead of thinking of you in the middle juggling Think about your K group, your community, those who God has put you in community with, and think about that, like kind of spokes of a wheel coming off of that. And instead of you being in the middle, all of a sudden, your love for God and his people, what Jesus said, what's the most important command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All right? So instead of you being in the middle, God and your neighbor, those who you're called to encourage to, to build up, to edify and to spur on, instead, that community's in the middle. And then out of that flows everything else that happens in life. And what I, lo- I love about this is if you're going to be really infectious in, 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 as, as a K group, it can't just be just getting together once a week, all right, plain and simple. It's not just about getting together once a week. Because if you just if it's all just about getting together once a week, it's easy just to say, too much going on. That's it's, it's, it's it. It's so much more. The biblical picture of community, of what we call koinonia, where we get K-group, is this shared participation, this, this fellowship, this, this intimate encouragement. And out of that comes all of life. It comes our, our way of doing life and the way of, of living life through community, through one another's encouragement, through pointing each other to Jesus, Jesus-centered community. So what does that mean? That means is when we find our lives being overwhelmed. We don't lose our connections. We don't lose our relationships because those relationships are there to help us point to Jesus and point our lives to Christ and make the head more visibly known. And so we come alongside each other. We, we, we're there for one another. We spur each other on. We encourage each other in the difficulties of life, in the hardship of life. So for some of you, it means throwing off some stuff, And for some of you, it means this year that I'm really going to engage this community that God's putting around me in order to help me to be the kind of believer God's called me to be, to be part of a body. And then out of that, I minister and share and love. And God uses me in other people's lives and God uses other people into my life. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. And I'm offering my body, it's it's not mine anymore it's yours god and then I'm part of a body and as part of that body i'm sacrificially giving for their betterment let's don't let k groups this year just be another night of the week where oh man i got to run and do that i mean most of the time most people say well if i'm really involved in a k group it's i love it i i, I go and i love it because you know once i get there it's it's so great and encouraging but it, but even though that's Definitely a step in the right direction. It's not just on Wednesday or Sunday, whenever your group meets. It's, it's all of your life. It's surrounding yourself with people who are going to encourage you, push you forward, be there for you. And some of you experience that in this church. You experience real community. You honestly have people you can go to for anything and everything. If you need something, they're there for you. They're, they're, your, they're your community. For other people, if, if you may be in a K group. But you're really not in a group. You're not part of community. You're not part of this kind of fellowship that needs to happen. So leaders, let's facilitate this. You know, some of the groups, are, you know, have a lot of young children in them. And, and this is one argument for multi-generational groups, all right? Because if you get everybody the same age group, and they all start having babies or in the hospital or this or that at the same time, then you feel pretty overwhelmed by that, right? And so I would encourage, as you look at K-groups, look at multi-generational and think, oh, just because they're in their, you know, 20s, I can't go in there because I'm in my 40s. No, they probably need you as a role model. They need you because they've been there, done that, and they can step up and help you during those times of life. But it, it gets overwhelming because it's like, you know, we need, it, this needs care, this needs care, this needs care, and we think, well, I just can't give because I'm too busy. And I got all these balls going The last thing I can do is provide a meal for the people there or to go and love and encourage them or mow a yard or whatever it is that needs to be done at the moment. But when you see that you're not in the middle, that God and his community are in the middle and out of that flows your life, all of a sudden that becomes much more natural because God isn't just a theological concept or somebody who I check in with on Sunday or Wednesday, and then I'm off doing my thing. But all of this comes together in all of life as what Paul calls a living sacrifice. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word that's so powerful. And God, it's easy to look at this and maybe just feel overwhelmed because we know that um, this is going to be costly to us. We the, the first things we think about is, I don't have time for this. I don't have the energy for this. God, I pray you'll point out to us maybe areas where we're overcommitted, things that we're focusing on that really are not that valuable, that important. For those who truly maybe just have a job that's all-encompassing and they're just 70, 80 hours a week, God, I pray that you will provide them some relief and maybe, even maybe just some options for them to really have community outside of the normal um, flow of the things that we um, have in front of us here at Grace Church today at the Showcase, God, and help them to just get Jesus followers around them who can, uh, they can call and, and seek encouragement and and they can encourage one another and lift each other up and be there for each other during this tough season of life, God. And I pray you'll allow us to really be, just, be, be, just really allow us to be uh, contagious this year, to point people to you, Jesus, to show you as the head, as uh, the beautiful, beautiful Savior that you are. And as a result of your mercies, God, help us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, part of this body, in Jesus' name, amen.